Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34. Give your attention to the reading of God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. Therefore, do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God remains forever. Amen. Let's pray. Oh God, we come to you this morning and we are thankful for your word. Thank you for inspiring those writers to write. Thank you for sustaining it through the ages, even passing it down to us so that we might have it this morning. It's, it's been read in a, a language that we all understand. And many of us, Lord, are even familiar with this passage, have maybe heard countless sermons on this passage. But as we come to you and to this time now, we ask for more than just human understanding. We ask for help spiritual help, that, oh God, you would open our eyes, that we would behold wondrous things from your law, that you would teach us and train us and correct us and even rebuke us for righteousness sake, that you would continue your sanctifying work in our lives, making us more and more into the image of your son, our Lord Jesus Christ. So by your spirit, oh God, help us, help your people, help me. Protect me from error, O God. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing and acceptable unto you, O God. You are my rock and you are my redeemer. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. There was once a man who was at an airport waiting for his flight, his flight that had been delayed because of a bad storm in the area. Feeling agitated, even anxious, he began to pace. And he started pacing back and forth in the terminal. And he came across a machine he had never seen before, a vending machine, but it wasn't selling drinks or food or a 
electronic devices, was selling life insurance. Life insurance. It offered immediate coverage, travel insurance of $100,000 in the event of an untimely death aboard a flight that day. He looked outside again. It's pretty bad out there. May not be as safe to fly today, so wow, it's only $3. I'll buy it. So he did. With a renewed peace of mind, he thought, man, I'm hungry. I'm going to look for a place to eat. So he went to the food court and he scanned all the options and look, lo and behold, they had his favorite food there, Chinese food. So he decided to eat there and he ate his meal with joy in his heart, comfort. He felt like he could relax. That was until he opened his fortune cookie. Until he opened his fortune cookie, it felt like a large bucket of cold water being poured over his head because this is what he read. This is what caused all his anxious thoughts to return. Congratulations, your recent investment will pay big dividends. <laughs> all of us, every single one of us, knows what anxiety feels like. And while some may suffer from it in more extreme ways, perhaps even diagnosed with it as a medical condition, there's not one of us here, not one of us who are immune from its presence, even if we decide to call it by some other name. Fear, doubt, worry, fret, dread, uneasiness, nervousness. Maybe you've thought of some others. Those are feelings that are familiar to us, especially, especially when we are confronted and we consider the many and the varied circumstances that we face in life each and every day. This morning, we're drawing our topical series in Christian contentment to a close. And we're going to do so by simply asking one question, a simple question, but it can be a troubling question for some of us. What about tomorrow? What about tomorrow? You know, we've spent the last four weeks considering what we call today, how to be content today. That is how to be satisfied today with all that God is for us in Jesus Christ. How to be content as we feast upon the abundant grace we've received from God today. How to be content in our acceptance and our place in Christ's body today. How to be content and generous with our riches today. And as we saw last week, how to be content with our circumstances today no matter how hard they might be. So it seems fitting then that today we would consider tomorrow. Is it possible? Is it possible to live in such a way today that I, that we can be content in tomorrow and every other tomorrow after that? Is it possible? Can I, can, can you, can we be truly satisfied with all that God is for us, for me, for you, in Jesus Christ tomorrow? Is it possible to have that 
inform, instruct, and even enhance that, commit, that contentment today, that we can find in him today. According to this text, to the words of our Savior Jesus, the one whom our soul delights, his answer is yes. His answer is yes. See, it doesn't take long, does it? It doesn't take long to get to the theme, or what I would call the heart of Matthew 6, 25 through 34. It shows itself right away in verse 25, and actually four more times through verse 34. Look with me there again. Verse 25, do not be anxious about your life. Scan down to verse 27. And which of you, by being anxious? Look at verse 27, or excuse me, 28. And why are you anxious? And then repeated verse 31 and verse 34. Therefore, do not be anxious. So straight from our text this morning, we have our first point. So if you're taking notes, you can mark this down as point one. The problem. The problem. On the surface... On a surface reading, Jesus appears to identify the problem as anxiety. And the word that's used here for anxiety is a, a common one in Koine Greek, merimnao. Uh, it literally means, though, a distracted mind or a double mind. When, when this word is used for anxiety, it's a distracted mind, a, a double mind. In the broader context of this passage, a distracted or a double mind is shown to be a mind that is divided, right? It's a mind that has a double focus on one's life. A, we might call it a division, a division between what we actually have or maybe what we lack today and what we might have or may lack tomorrow. And if we press further in, we might call it a mind that is divided in its focus. It's a mind divided in its focus, a focus on what we can do, what you and I can do to provide for ourselves versus a focus on what God will do to provide for us. And that actually seems to fit well in the context of not just Matthew chapter 6, but the whole of this part of Matthew. Many of you know that this part of Matthew is included in what we call the Sermon on the Mount. In the sermon, Jesus is teaching the disciples. He's teaching them how to live in the kingdom in the kingdom of God, how to live in the kingdom that has come into the world. The kingdom of God has come into the world. It's, it's come in, but it's come in in part now. When Jesus was speaking, not in totality just yet, and that's true for us too. But Jesus wants his disciples, he wants us to live faithfully for him. He wants us to live faithfully for God in that tension that tension between the now and the not yet, to live faithfully for him in that time between his first coming and his future second coming. He wants us to live with both an eye on today and an eye on tomorrow. He wants us to live in such a way that we are satisfied with him today. 
Because we know that the entirety of that satisfaction will truly be and fully be enjoyed tomorrow. Some tomorrow. So we see then that when Jesus mentions this divided mind, this double mind, this divided focus five times in our passage, when he both interrogates and gives imperatives about anxiety, interrogates by asking, why are you anxious? But then gives imperatives, do not be anxious. When he calls out this divided focus, what's he doing? He's exposing a condition that is common to each and every one of us, not just those who were there with him that day, but all who would be considered his disciples. So call it what you want. Call it fear, call it worry, doubt, anxiety, whatever. At the heart of it is a divided focus. It's a divided focus, divided between today and tomorrow between the now and the not yet, a mixture of the certainty and the uncertainty that we face today projected upon tomorrow, that although we know it's coming, we simply do not know which tomorrow it will be. You understand what I'm saying? Will tomorrow be the not yet? Will tomorrow be the final day or will it be just another tomorrow? We know it's coming, but we don't know when. Is tomorrow going to be just like today? That's overwhelming, isn't it? Maybe you have a really overwhelming today, and the thought of having another tomorrow just like today is too much. Maybe you ask yourselves, can the not yet become now? Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, right? Do you identify with that? Do you understand that? Do you understand what's happening in our minds and our souls? This divided focus. So we must ask then, is anxiety the real problem that Jesus is addressing here? If you are taking notes and you said the problem, dash anxiety. Scratch that out. I mean, he's obviously addressing it, but is it the real problem that's in focus? Or as problematic as anxiety might be, perhaps is anxiety just the fruit of another underlying problem? A problem that is the root which nourishes this divided focus that each and every one of us experience? And if so, and I'm going to argue that there is, but if so, what is this root problem? Would you look with me again at verse 30? Just that last phrase. Jesus is asking, if God so does this, will he not much more clothe you? And then mark these words, O you of little faith. O you of small faith. Did you catch that? I can emphasize it one more time. Oh, you of little faith. There is a root problem. Little faith. 
I like how John Piper explains this in his book, Future Grace. This is what he writes briefly, one sentence. He says, Jesus says that the root of anxiety is inadequate faith in our Father's future grace. Say that again. Jesus says that the root of anxiety is inadequate faith in our Father's future grace. You see, as unbelief gets the upper hand in our hearts, and if you're like me, it does quite often, one of the effects is a double focus, is anxiety. It's the root cause of that anxiety, that divided focus, is a failure to trust, to trust all that God has promised to be for us in Jesus Christ. And so how can we ever, remember we've defined contentment as being satisfied with all that God is for us in Jesus Christ. How can we ever experience that? How can we ever say that I am satisfied with all that God is for us in Jesus Christ tomorrow if we never trust in all that God has promised to be for us in Jesus Christ today? How? So this is like a a flash of lightning that you've seen just run across a dark sky. You've seen it just whoosh, right? Jesus cracks the facade that we construct to shelter us from storms that are brewing and coming, not, not the storm of uncertain circumstances. We addressed that last week, and there's a place to address that. But Jesus is addressing the storm that is the battle for faith, ongoing daily faith that is raging in our hearts and in our minds, a battle that each and every one of us faces, except for you, right? You got this down? You got this? Always faithful, never wavering, never questioning, never wondering. Every single one of us, all of us, me included, face this every day, perhaps even right now. So then, I would say that the problem being addressed here is little faith. Little faith is the root that nourishes the fruit that is anxiety. Again, I'm not dismissing medical conditions, okay? I'm talking about the common anxiety that we all experience, which, yes, does play a part in the others. But listen, I'm talking about what we all experience. Experience. So it should come as no surprise then what Jesus does to address this problem in this passage. Jesus gives guidance for us, right, on how we should posture ourselves to overcome it. But that's actually the third point. That's not the second point. The second point we come to not only comes before the third, logically, right, in a linear progression, but I would argue in the degree of comfort as well. It's what we all need to hear. And this is what I mean. Jesus doesn't shame us for our little faith. He doesn't shame us for our little faith. On the contrary, he comforts us. He understands. He sympathizes with our weakness. And how does he do it? He does it with promises. If you're taking notes, that's the second point this morning. The promises. In fact, Jesus gives us at least five. I'm going to highlight five. You can probably find more, but he gives us five promises here, five promises that are meant to sever that root of unbelief so that in place of anxiety, we would produce the fruit of faith and even the fruit of faithfulness. 
The first promise comes in verse 25. Jesus wants you, he wants me, he wants you to know that your very life is much more complex and much more difficult to provide than is food and drink and clothing. Did you catch that? What he's saying there? Your life, your very being is much more complex and much more difficult to bring about than is food and drink and clothing. And yet God has indeed provided you with life. In him, you live and move and have your being, right? He's provided you with life. So he will indeed then, this is the promise, he will indeed then be able to provide you with what you need to sustain that life. Things like food and drink and clothing. He's arguing from the lesser to the greater. If he can do that, Look what he can do for you. The second promise comes in verse 26. Here, Jesus wants you to know that if he is willing and able to feed such insignificant creatures as birds, and I love birds, but comparatively, right? If Jesus is able to feed these creatures, then he will most certainly provide you with the food that you need. Even more, they don't even have to work for it, right? I mean, at my house, they just come up to the feeders and we continue to fill these things up and they eat their fill, right? God's give, he's created us so that we can actually go and work and we can go and we can actually grow food if we want to. Think about that for a minute. If God's able to take care of them, think about how he's gonna take care of you. You're more precious than a bird. Young ones, listen to me. I know that in school, they're trying to tell you something completely opposite, You're just another animal. No. You are created in God's image. You are more precious. You are more significant than a bird. The third promise comes in verses 28 through 30. In these verses, Jesus wants you to be assured that compared to the grass and the flowers of the field, you are a much higher priority to him. You see how these promises build on one another and And know that if if God lavishes creativity and beauty on them who last mere moments, right? Compared to eternity, Jesus wants you to be confident that God will certainly give even more attention to you because you're gonna live forever. You are an eternal being because you are made in his image. The fourth promise comes in, Verses 31 and 32, these verses remind us that God is not ignorant to our needs. God doesn't look upon us with indifference. He cares for us. He knows our needs. He knows them. He knows exactly what we need. He also knows what we want. He hears those prayers too. He knows our hearts. He knows the words before they ever come off of our lips. But he knows what we need, and he's going to act to supply those needs. The fifth and final promise that I'll bring up comes in verse 34. Here, Jesus reminds us of a precious reality, right? A precious reality that every tomorrow comes with an ample supply of mercies. That's what's behind this passage. There's an ample supply of mercies that will be more than sufficient for what it brings It's a promise that even though God may give us, as we said last week, more than we can possibly handle on our own, he never ceases to provide for us so that 
He won't see us through it. You understand? He will provide for us and make sure that we get through to the other side. So there you have it. Five promises. I'm going to state them again in summary for you in case I went too quickly. First, God is powerful enough to provide for you. God is powerful enough to provide for you. Number two, God is willing to provide for you. God is willing to provide for you. Third, God will not forget to provide for you. God won't forget to provide for you. God knows, number four, God knows exactly what he needs to provide you. He knows what he needs to provide you. And lastly, God will never cease to provide for you. He will never stop, whether it be, listen, today or tomorrow. God will never cease to provide for you. Is that comforting? I often regret that I don't parent this way enough. I think I might have a PhD in shame parenting sometimes. You know what I'm talking about? Kids, you might hear this from your parents. I freely admit that I say this to my kids sometimes. They're not in here. But they would be like, amen. Loudest amens you hear. Why did you do that again? What's wrong with you? How many times do I have to tell you to do this? Now, come on, am I alone? You see how that shames? What's wrong with you? Well, there is something wrong. They've done something wrong. But how about accompanying that with the promise that, uh, why did you do this? Explain why. Let's talk about why it's wrong. And let me tell you this. Nothing you do can ever change how much I love you. Even you and your little obedience or little faith. Let me comfort you with promise of who I am for our children. I'm your parent. I love you. For our friends, I'm your friend. I love you. Whatever it may be. God says that to you. You belong to me. You're my child. I redeemed you. Come here. Let me encourage you. That's what Jesus is doing. He's not shaming us for our little faith. He's encouraging us. He's encouraging us. He's comforting us. He goes to work on our hearts because he's the great physician. And he reminds us of infallible, unchangeable, eternal truths. And it's the truth that God has been and is even now and always will be God. He will not change. He is the God of our yesterdays, the God of our today, and the God of our tomorrow. So the remedy then for our divided minds, for our divided focus, for our fears and our worries and our anxieties is faith. That's the remedy. But listen It's faith that you are not able to generate on your own. That's faith that you are not able to muster up to get through. That's moralism. It's faith that's a gift. It's the gift of faith that we might believe, and it's an ongoing gift of faith as God works his goodwill and pleasure in our hearts and in our lives so that we can be made more and more into the object of our faith, right? Jesus Christ. Remember, it's not how much faith you have. It's not the strength of your faith. It's the object of your faith that saves you. And it's the object of your faith that helps you continue on living for God. 
Think about what faith has done. The faith that God has given to you as a gift has allowed you to be grafted into the vine of redemptive grace. It's faith that allows you to be nourished and to produce abundant fruit as you abide in the object of that faith, Jesus. God wants you to embrace Christ and his promises of faithfulness to you, his faithfulness for you and his faithfulness in you. Because of that, because of those promises, think about this, you don't just have a hopeful today. You have a hopeful tomorrow. You have a hopeful tomorrow. So I guess I should then get to that third and final point, right? I should get there. Remember, we've seen so far the the problem. We've exposed the problem from the text, and we've shown the promises given to us in the text. So let's go back to posture. Let's go back to the posture that we are to have, the posture that Jesus calls us to. And he does it in verse 33. Would you look there again with me? Jesus says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So again, if you're taking notes, our third point is posture, the posture. You remember I began today by posing a simple but often troubling question, right? What about tomorrow? What about tomorrow? Is it possible? I asked, is it possible to live in such a way today that you can be content in tomorrow and every other tomorrow after that? Can, can you and I, can we be truly satisfied with all that God is for us in Jesus Christ today and, and have that inform, instruct, and even enhance the contentment that I find in him? The answer is with the right posture, yes. With the right posture, you can. I remember when I was in uh, middle school, um, so this for me, where I grew up and all, it was, this was fifth grade. I started playing the trumpet. My parents loved me. That sounded great. Okay. Now, I've never been known for my exceptional posture, and it was really on display when I was in fifth grade. If you know anything about beginner band, they have the worst chairs ever. These are the most uncomfortable chairs. And maybe you didn't have them, but I had them. They were the worst. And they made us sit in those chairs. And what were they designed to do? <laughs> to have you sit up straight, to have a good posture. Why? Well, if you know anything about playing an instrument, you need to strengthen your diaphragm, right? So that it can push the air up out of your lungs and through the instrument. And you can make that beautiful, wonderful, blessed noise, right? I, they wanted to hear this. I was surprised. But we had to have the right posture. We had to sit up. If you sit up straight, the air flows freely. Things sort of work. But if you slouch, what happens? You restrict. You cut that off. It doesn't quite sound any better. It sounds worse. I hated that chair. But you know, when I got home and I pulled out my comfy chair and I sat and practiced my trumpet, man, my back hurt, my shoulders hurt, my stomach even hurt a little bit. I did it my way. My way was working against me. So much the same way Jesus teaches us about correct posture. And this correct posture is going to go a long way in, in soothing and even curing the common anxieties and fears and worries that we have about our not yet, those not yet's of tomorrow 
And that posture is very clear. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Thank you, Lord Jesus. But what does that mean? Thanks. You'd almost see that, right? Gotcha. Gotcha, Lord. Hey, what does that mean? That means what it says. If biblically speaking, the anxiety that Jesus is addressing here is a a divided focus, a focus that's divided between today and tomorrow, between the now and the not yet, a, a divided focus that results in a mixture of the certainty and the uncertainty we face today that we project upon tomorrow. If this is the divided focus that Jesus is addressing, and, and I argue that indeed it is, then he's simply telling the disciples, he's telling me and he's telling you this, you got the wrong focus. You're focusing on the wrong thing. Rather than focus on the todays and tomorrows of this life, would you focus on the todays and tomorrows of the life that is to come? Would you focus on that? Jesus is calling us. He's calling us to lift our eyes to heaven. He's calling us to lift our eyes to the kingdom that is coming one day in all its fullness. He wants us to look to our eternal heavenly home where we in mystery of mysteries are already seated with him. He wants us to look up to heaven. He wants us to look from where the fountain of all spiritual blessings that are ours in Christ Jesus, where they flow He wants us to look up there where the Spirit has come into our hearts and dwells within us. He wants us to look where any and all help we could ever need in this life comes from. Jesus wants us to sit up straight. He wants us to assume the correct posture. He wants us to seek him. He wants us to seek his kingdom He wants us to seek his righteousness. He wants to let the very air of grace and mercy that we breathe be returned and exhaled back to him in praise and adoration and glory and honor. Brothers and sisters, I want you to know this. God wants us to be satisfied with all that he is in Christ Jesus, that he is for us in Christ Jesus tomorrow. Because this is his promise. He's going to continue to provide tomorrow what he indeed provides today. You can rest safe. You can rest secure. You can actually be content. And you can be content with tomorrow. You know why? Because you can be content today. You can be content tomorrow. Because you can be content today. You will never be content with tomorrow if you are not content today. Austin introduced a new to some of us hymn today entitled, He Will Hold Me Fast. I want to direct your attention and your eyes back to that. If you would grab your bulletins. I want you to look at the last half of that first verse. I could never keep my hold through life's fearful path. For my love is often cold. He must hold me fast. I want you to take that 
phrase, those phrases, and I want you to replace the word love with faith. For my faith is often cold. He must hold me fast. My earnest hope for each and every one of us today is that we truly know just how firm of a grip that Jesus has on us. Do you know that? Do you believe that? Do you know, do you believe that you are safe and secure in his hand? Do you really believe that he will never, ever loosen that grip? Do you believe that you are just as safe and secure tomorrow as you are today? Do you believe that? I have to ask this question too. Does your faith in the steadfastness of that grip feel weak? It's like we're one of the disciples. I believe, help my unbelief. I believe that. I just agreed with Pastor Dan and now I'm saying, yep. That does my faith and that feels weak at times. You're not alone. I'm there too at times. That's why I'm so thankful. Thankful to God that Jesus, that he addressed that very thing for us today. And he didn't shame us because of it. He reminds us of his sure and his steady word. He reminds us that his enduring promises can cause us, not just call us, but cause us to rest that they can lead us into green pastures where we can indeed be content. That his word, that these words of Jesus preserved for us, divinely inspired by God so that we would hear them today, says, you know what? You can be satisfied with all that I, God, is for you in Jesus Christ. So many applications, but the obvious one, the center of the target, my friends. God, give me faith. God, increase my faith so that my anxieties will decrease. May God do it for our good and for his glory. Amen and amen. Would you grab your bulletin?